Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and Happy New Year. Welcome to episode 236 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and hey, I hope 2019 is off to a great start for you already here on this New Year's Day. I always love New Year's uh, because not only is it a celebration, but it's an opportunity to think about the future, to recalibrate, to start over again. And man, we got a great year lined up for you. I'm really excited about 2019. I think it's going to be the best year ever for the podcast. Uh, we got a bunch of guests coming up that I think you are going to love. We have got, who have we got? Got David Kinneman coming up, Lisa Turkers, John Gordon. Ian Morgan Cron is going to be on the podcast early in 2019. I have been smitten by the Enneagram like so many of you, and it's been it's been great, I'll tell you. Gary Chapman is going to talk about the five love languages in your life and at work. Uh, Frank Beeler, my buddy, is back. Uh, the most productive man I know with, I think, 25 full-time jobs. We can talk to him. Uh, Judd Wilhide, John Ortberg, Annie Downs, Katie Cole, and so many others. It's going to be an exceptional start to 2019. And I'm so glad you guys are here. You know, we just want to get better together. Uh, we want to grow together as leaders, as people. Uh, and for those of us who follow Jesus, uh, which is a lot of you who listen to this podcast, even get a little bit closer or a lot closer on that this year. And that's what this podcast does. It's designed to help you lead like never before to thrive in life and leadership. So I just wanted to say cheering for you, praying for you as we head into 2019. We are kicking off 2019 with some fun stuff today. My guest is Jonathan Pokluda. You may know him as the author of the best-selling book, Welcome to Adulting. He is also the campus pastor at Watermark Church in Dallas, Texas, and he leads The Porch, one of the largest young adult ministries in the world, if not in the world, certainly in the United States. And every Tuesday night and beyond, they've got tens of thousands of sometimes hundreds of thousands of young adults in their 20s and 30s who gather electronically or thousands in person uh, for church. And he has his finger on the pulse of millennials and, and now increasingly Generation Z uh, like nobody's business. And uh, Jonathan was really great, known as JP, really, really great about digging into some details. And I learned a lot in this interview. I think you're going to love it. So if you're a millennial or Gen Z, you're going to see yourself in this episode. A lot of you are. For those of us who are a little bit older, I'm Gen X. Some of you are, are baby boomers or beyond. Hey, I think you're going to love today's episode. And speaking of launching into 2019, I don't know that you have this problem or not, but I know that, you know, we talk a lot on this space and also on my blog about being in the digital and analog world. So here's one of the problems a lot of churches have. Um, there's a growing digital presence, but 99% of your staffing budget is spent on the analog experience, on the weekend experience. And a lot of church staff are just overwhelmed or don't have the budget to really move into the digital space in a meaningful way. Well, all of that is about to change. Uh, we're early adopters on this podcast. 
there's a brand new company that just is coming out called Pro Media Fire. You're the first to hear about it on this podcast. It's a cloud-based church creative team. So no staff searching, no like, okay, we got to free up X, you know, thousand dollars in the budget for a new staff person. No, it's get this unlimited graphic design services, unlimited custom church videos for one monthly flat fee that's very competitive. The creative team collectively has over 30 years experience working for ministries. They're great at what they do. And Pro Media Fire is offering a limited launch special to listeners of this podcast. So as a listener, you'll get 10% off all plans for life and 40% off for the media bundle for life with unlimited graphic design and video services if you go today to this site promediafire.com slash carry. That's promediafire.com forward slash carry. So don't miss it. It's a launch special. That's promediafire.com slash carry. You'll save 10 to 40% right now. And boom, you're all of a sudden stepping up your digital game in a huge way for 2019. So make sure you check that out. Also, I know a lot of you are setting New Year's resolutions or you're rolling your eyes going, nope, not doing it this year. Hey, I got a, a new free training series I want to tell you about. So I would love for you to head on over to thehighimpactleader.com. I've got some free training for you for this year. And uh, yeah, you can check that out absolutely for free at thehighimpactleader.com. And we got that for you. Well, in the meantime... Here we are, episode one of 2019, also known as episode 236 of this podcast. Jonathan Pocluda from Watermark Church in Dallas, Texas, uh, just someone with incredible insights on what's happening with the next generation. Here we go. Well, Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you. Carrie, thanks so much for having me on, man. I, it's fun to watch what God is doing through your ministry. And so I was a part of the high impact leader that you put out and also have a close friend, uh, here that just went through preaching better sermons. So way to go for just helping the church. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. And I've driven, I'm not with you, we're doing this remotely, but I've driven by your office at Watermark Church in Dallas numerous times. You pivoted the camera to let me see the highway I drive on. That's right. That yeah, so I get to, good to connect with you. Pray for uh, hundreds of thousands of cars daily that pass by, sometimes a lot slower than they want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jonathan, um, I'm, I'm just excited to hear about the way God's using you and your team to reach literally tens of thousands, like 50 to 100,000 young adults, which is just, it's a mind boggling number. Uh, but let's go back a bit. Tell us a bit about your story, uh, how you ended up leading what many would call the largest young adult ministry in America. Yeah, well, I was raised in the church. I have uh, great parents. And, uh, you know, I would describe high school as kind of an identity crisis. And everyone says, yeah, that's everybody in high Isn't school. Isn't that for everybody? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And well, so for me, uh, that looked like being a part of agricultural programs where I would uh, show steers and chickens and rabbits. And I had both ears uh, pierced. I got my first tattoo at 14. I drove this 1979 Mercedes Benz with hydraulics that says Superfly on the back. And usually by about that time, people are like, <laughs> okay, you win identity crisis. And, uh, and so my senior year, I kind of straightened up. And I say that because then I went to college and I, I had all of the freedom that goes with going to college, but none of the maturity to accompany that. And so there was like some semblance of faith. I had this idea of God, but God was this police officer in the sky and I was doing these things I didn't want to be stopped for. And so I, you know, as I 
just went about what they say, drug, sex, and rock and roll. For me, it was drug, sex, and hip hop. As I did that in college, uh, I would say my prayers at night. One night, I just began sobbing in my bed, my on-campus twin-sized bed, just crying, thinking, nobody's listening to me. Nobody can hear these prayers. And I woke up the next day, and I reached out to a friend out of desperation. I just kind of confessed all my sins to them. I'm like, this is what I've done wrong. This is who I've slept with, the drugs I've done, what I drank, the parties, all that. And they said, well, that's just kind of college. They said, you go and you go wild. And then after college, you kind of get right with God. Terrible advice, but kind of prophetic in in my experience. Because what happened next is I graduated from college. I moved to Dallas. And 16 years ago, I was at a bar on a Saturday night. It was a bar that I loved, a club on Lower Greenville in Dallas. And I was there every Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. And on this particular Saturday night, I bumped into this old friend from college. And I said, what are you doing this weekend? And she said, well, I'm going to go check out this church. And I said, great, pick me up. And she did. And she took me to Watermark. And I went hungover. I, was, I still smelled like smoke from the club the night before. And I began to wrestle with what do I really believe about Jesus? And in fact, I knew there was a God, but I didn't know who he was. And so I started looking at you know world religions, the Hindu faith, the Buddhist faith, the Jewish faith, Islamic faith. And, and really with the bias against Christianity, because I thought, you know, if I was born in Indi- India, I'd be Hindu. If I was born in China, I'd be Buddhist. Right. And so I just kind of had this bias against Christianity. Well, as I explored the world religions, I continued to trip over the character and person of Jesus Christ in history. And the evidence overwhelmed me, and I ended up surrendering to Christ, believing upon him, his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of my sins. And everything, Carrie, in my life changed. As a young 20-something everything changed. And so what I did for fun changed, who I hung out with changed. Uh, you know, ultimately, my, the way I talk changed. Ultimately, the, my profession changed as God called me to vocational ministry five years later. And so that's, that's a crash course, the, the high-level picture of just kind of the journey I was on. That's incredible. So that's an incredible story. <laughs> I mean, I want to know, did you grow up in Texas? Yeah, South, where you South Texas. Yeah, 6,000 people okay. in the middle of nowhere. I've spent a lot of time in Texas over the last 10, 12 years or so. One of the things I hear about, it is not true in Canada. I mean, if you're going to run away from Jesus, you're just gone and you give up. But one of the things I've heard from, and, and I think anybody in the Bible Belt who works in church world might resonate with this, is there's a lot of kids who go to church, but they just live a completely different lifestyle and they just they just live in that tension. Um, is that something that's com- that's common? I mean, you seem to be doing it. I mean, you're basically the way you described your college years, you're still saying your prayers, but it's like, yeah, I'm just I'm just gonna live for me. Is that is that fairly typical? Absolutely. I mean, especially in the Bible Belt, uh, you see this idea that everybody's a Christian, which just means I'm not an right. atheist. And uh, and so I have some idea of God, but the, and that that what, the way you asked that question, that's really my story. Is at that kind of crisis of faith, if you will. I I said I've always believed that there's a God, but I've never made a decision based on that faith. So I had hmm. to come to this place where I realized I wasn't a Christian, so that I could actually become one. And I have that conversation a lot with young adults. In fact, most of the time, uh, when I see the Holy Spirit. Uh, use preaching or evangelism uh, for a conversion, it, the conversation starts with, I'm a Christian. And then as we have, com- as we, as I begin to pry in what that means, they come to a realization, well, I'm not a Christian. I just say that I'm a Christian. 
and I haven't trusted in Christ, and then, you know, God does a work. I mean, that kind of cultural Christianity was big, I think, in my parents' generation, maybe in Canada. And I think if you're listening in the Pacific Northwest or California or uh, the Northeast New England, you can probably go, oh, yeah, we uh, we don't have that anymore, really. <laughs> like, you're, you're kind of gone. But I see that's a big deal. But what I really want to dive into, uh, tell us a little bit about the scope, because I think there's a lot of people in ministry who would just be in awe of the reach that God has given you. And then there's a lot of people in the business space and the marketing space who are listening going, yeah, we're interested in cracking the mind of a millennial. And you guys at the porch and in your ministry seem to have just been given this incredible opportunity to tap into so many young adults. So just give us an idea of what you do and the scope, and then we'll kind of reverse engineer from there. Yeah, let me me say this to your listeners. This is why... I, you know, if one, I'm grateful for you for having me on. And two, the, the reason I allocate time to this is because I am passionate about helping people reach the future. And even more specifically, the, the future of the church. But I come from corporate America. And so I, I talked to two companies last week, to, you know, helping them bridge the gap between, you know, the supervisor, the manager, the leader and the millennials that are there. But as you think about the church, if we're not reaching the future of the church, then our church has no future. And that's not, I don't mean for that to sound so with so much teeth. It's just a math problem. If you're not reaching the future of the church, then your church is, is literally dying. And so, so true. Um, what I've seen God do through the porch, so to kind of continue that story. So five years later, he called me to vocational ministry. I came on and it was just this, this crazy, almost road to Damascus kind of story. And and I, I was in corporate world. I wanted to be a millionaire before I was 30. I was kind of everything wrong hmm. with Dallas, Texas in one person. I was pretentious and whatnot. And and I, I surrendered my life to Christ. He began to work in me and, and it called me to uh, work in vocational ministry and then opened a door in the church. And so I came in as a young adult community director. I helped him in, in the small groups. And then two years later, uh, the guy who started this deal called The Porch uh, asked me to teach one night. And it was 100 people. It was a small gathering, 100 people. And um, I was my first time ever to preach. Well, they I continued to preach thereafter. And God just did a, a supernatural work. And it grew from 100 to 800 and from 800 to 1600 and 1600, you know, to, to 3200. And today in Dallas, just every Tuesday here at this campus, there's 3,600 young adults here. There's another, well, there's actually 4,000. There's 3,600 in the auditorium. There's 500 in overflow that are uh, predominantly college students. And then wow. we have a uh, another campus in Fort Worth, another campus in Houston, and then 10 other campuses around the country, everywhere from you know Joplin, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Missouri, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma City. So all, all over, all around the country. Um, that they're streaming live from their church. And then also, you know, just a, a large podcast ministry. And so that that's what God has done in the midst yeah, of that. Tell us about the podcast. I mean, you you shared some of that with me ahead of time. And I'm like, what? Yeah, so we, we have two podcasts. One is just the listening to the actual sermons. We also have a podcast called Views from the Porch. Uh, listening to the sermons, those numbers can be anywhere from 50,000 to 100,000 people you know, downloading, streaming and whatnot. And so we it's hard to, you know, as well wow. as anyone, it's hard to track the numbers everywhere from YouTube and whatnot. But suffice yeah. it to say that God is doing a work in spite of us. I say he uses me to show that he can use anyone. 
That sounds like trite yeah. and cliche. Brother, when I go to bed at night, when I lay down, I'm convinced it's true. <laughs> I look back on my <laughs> life. I'm like, what am I doing here? And I, it'd be terrifying if, it, if I wasn't thoroughly convinced that it was his work. Well, we'll link to the podcast and to all this stuff in the show notes. But that, that's an incredible amount of young adults who are tuning in. So I got to ask the question, like, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> what's, what's going on? Think about how everyone is put out with millennials. And, um, yeah. and uh, you know, not, not everyone literally, I don't think you and I are, but a lot of people are right. just like, gosh, what are these people doing? They're so pretentious or, or entitled or narcissistic and lazy. And you hear these things. And I liken them to like LED light bulbs. If you remember when the, the lights changed from filament bulbs to LED bulbs and all of it, we had those kind of spiraled bulbs and, and when you if you had a fixture that exposed them it it wasn't attractive and those cfls or whatever they call yeah. them yeah compact fluorescence yeah we avoided that and it was frustrating in this house yeah yeah well mm-hmm. it, it was when you went to the store though it was difficult to avoid it because they were everywhere and it was like this new yeah. technology that's frustrating and i start with that because i think that's the way uh kind of like millennials is they're if you think about those bulbs they're brighter they last longer they're more energy efficient and so while we may see them as a nuisance they're actually a, a more effective uh technology and so when you think about millennials I, I think the way that you reach them is the first thing you do is you lead with authenticity you lead with authenticity and so they don't want a replica of themselves uh, I'm, they don't want a replica, rather, of their favorite celebrity pastor. They want you to be yourself. Uh, I've heard that preaching is um, Bible poured through personality. And so, and this can be true for the corporate world, too. If you're there, like they don't want you walking around bragging about how great you are and what you do and the car <laughs> you drive. And they, they want a humble leader that's honest about their mistakes. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, uh, a Quick story on that is one time I, I was about to preach a sermon, and that the night before I had clicked on a hashtag on Instagram that was stupid. It was one I shouldn't have clicked on. I'm a recovering sex addict and uh, was addicted to porn for years. That mm-hmm. the God has allowed me to experience freedom from, and uh, I'm pretty open with my story. But I had clicked on a hashtag that that uh, exposed uh, it was essentially nudity uh, of a, a female and. I um I was about to preach and I was just convicted by that and so I started the sermon with hey before I dive in I just I want you guys to know uh, that I you know I clicked on this yesterday I didn't take further action I I ended up you know closing it out but I didn't flee the way the scripture calls me to and I'm really sorry that night when I got done preaching it was the longest line that I've ever encountered I mean I was there till midnight talking oh to my people. Goodness. Uh, that just came up as I can't believe you said that. I've never heard a pastor say that. I've never heard anyone say anything like that from the pulpit. That was so crazy. And me too, and me too, and me too, and me too, and me too. And so I, I was like, wow, okay, all right. And then I told that story. I was speaking at a seminary, and they asked me to come and speak about reaching millennials, and I told that story. And the feedback that I got afterwards, they could write anonymous feedback, is was, hey, you need to have the appearance of holiness. Um, you, you said the word pornography in a mixed gender audience. That was inappropriate. And I just thought, Carrie, I thought, man, they, here's the deal. You're never going to reach them. If you want to keep playing that game and you want to keep pretending that you have it all together, you're never, ever going to reach them. And so I think the first thing you do is lead with authenticity. Secondly, you expand their vision. 
And so they, they want to do something bigger than themselves. Uh, they they want to be called to something bigger than themselves. When you think about what Jesus said is, uh, you know, he would say, hey, come and follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. Well, let me let me go bury my dad. Let the dead bury the dead. Follow me. No one who puts the, the, their hand to plow and looks back is not worthy of me or worthy of the kingdom. Um, you know, uh, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me. He had these huge asks of people. And what the church does, and I think, you know, industry does, is they dumb it down. Well, will you just show up at eight? Will you just do this? Will you just serve for an hour? Will you please? It's like, no, come and die. All right, be vocational. Mm. We're gonna listen. We're, I'm looking for the best of the best, the 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 seals of this organization. Come with us, because corporate America will ask that of them. Uh, this is where I think they they actually get it more right than the church. They will exploit their gifts when when God has given those gifts to people for Himself, and so expand their vision, call them to something uh, bigger than themselves, knowing that God wants to change the world, and so let them do it. And then lastly. So it's lead with authenticity, expand their vision. And lastly, I would, I would call people to deploy them. And so we say we don't do ministry to people, but through people. And so when they come here and we, we say, hey, we want you to be bivocational, then we trust them to make mistakes. When we, uh, we, the porch is, has you know, five teams that make up the porch, uh, 250 volunteers. We give those teams budgets. They, they go on retreats. I mean, they're, they're pastors. They're elders of the ministry, if you will. And so we allow them, you know, to uh, make mistakes and learn from those mistakes, and um, they they solidify partnerships in the city. And so it's it's lead with authenticity, expand their vision, and deploy them. And because I'm a preacher, that's a good LED acronym. <laughs> that works out well. Uh, there's so much there, Jonathan. Part of what I want to go back to is. Uh, it sounds like, because I've heard the gift thing and I'm just trying to pick up threads about what's connecting with the next generation. And when I look at preaching, it's amazing how many times where I'll just sample other people's sermons, people who are actually connecting with young adults. And I will hear about gifting, like God has given you, we're trusting you at a high level. You know, it seems like that that whole show up model of church, like you can just go sit in the back row and kick your legs back, you know, kick your feet up and uh, listen. That's not what you're doing, is it? You're you're engaging, you're employing, you're challenging, you're doing all that. And I think about I got, I got a son right now who's starting out in accounting, and like he's talking about the first half of 2019, and he knows it's what accountants call busy season, and so basically you're going to be chained to a desk for 12 to 18 hours a day for six months, uh, six or seven days a week. That's just, that's what happens in the big accounting firms. And, you know, he's just gearing up for it. And I think, you know, I'm not saying we should do that in the church, but we have this idea that we're not calling anybody to anything anymore. We're just happy if you show up. That's not, you know, you've, you've got a different MO going on there. I think it's one of the biggest mistakes you can make. And I mean, and, and by the biggest mistakes is because it's the most common mistakes I see organizations and churches make. And they think that's the way that they're going to attract young people is just not ask much of them. And it's, I, I'll tell you a quick story. So when, yeah. when I inherited the porch, the biggest problem that I observed was discouraged volunteers. I mean, just like looking at the landscape, because you would show up, what it would look like, the porch is a ministry, it meets at 7 p.m. on Tuesday. 
And uh, the leaders would show up, they would hold hands in a circle and pray, and then you divvy up responsibilities. You go stand by the door, you help people find their seat, you go in the parking lot, help people know to come inside. Right. And, uh, and they were just discouraged. There was no vision behind that. The proverb tells us where there is no vision, the people perish. And as I prayed, there was just kind of this Holy Spirit moment where I got all the, all the volunteers together and I just said, all right, who wants to be a greeter? And about half the room raised their hand. And I said, hey, no offense. Um, I don't mean this in any rude way, but we no longer need greeters. You are relieved of your responsibility. And then I said, you know, who wants to be ushers? And, the, you know, the, the other half of the room was like, oh, maybe it's ushers. That's what he's looking for, you know. Yeah. Fire so they, now, too. <laughs> yeah, they raised, they raised their hands and say, we want to be ushers. And, and I said, hey, same, same story. We, don't, we no longer need ushers, okay? So, you, don't, you know, please go hold babies in the nursery or go serve in our children's ministry or do something else. But we don't need you because what we need here is we need missionaries and we need pastors. I need people that are hosts, that are standing at the door ready to leave their post, to sit with the hurting, to minister to to someone who just had an abortion or is thinking about it, someone who is cutting themselves, someone who's depressed, someone who's considered suicide last night, someone who can share their story in 30 seconds, three minutes or 30 minutes, pointing to Christ and the gospel. I don't need people helping someone just find their seat. I need someone that's willing to sit with them, to minister with them, to be a pastor and a shepherd to them. And, uh, and so I cast this vision and they all, you know, they're kind of bright eyed and lean forward and they're like, well, we want to do that, but we don't know how. And I said, oh, we'll train you up. We'll train you up. You know, if you, if you're up for it, I'll train you. And, and so what happened, Carrie, is before that moment, we were begging people, will you please come serve at the porch? You know, it's only an hour on a Tuesday night at seven, please come serve with us. After that moment, we had people lining up. We didn't have places to put them. I mean, people, more people were coming, wanting to be a part of the ministry than actually were coming to the ministry. And, and so what we did is we had to create another team for them to serve on that team before we placed them. So they go on this call, what's called Team Roundabout. It's kind of like Porch University where they learn the different ministries. They learn how they're wired, uh, you know, what their gifts are and where they can best serve. And then we place them on those teams. But it's because they respond to you calling them something bigger than them to something bigger than themselves. So it sounds like spectator church is dead. Spectator, is right? spectator church is dying. I wish, you know, it's, it's close to dead. It will be dead. I think it's dying. Wow. And how did you, I mean, you're still hundreds of people when you fired all the ushers and the greeters. That's right. Um, how did you figure out as you were starting out, how did you figure out how to train them? I mean, you're kind of making this up as you go along, right? I mean, let's go back to that deploy, do ministry to people. I mean, through people, not to people. Yeah. I, I realized that I had some of the best corporate trainers in the city that were a part of the ministry. I had people that, huh. that were teachers. I had, I had uh, professors. There were folks that worked for Fortune 12 companies, you know, teaching sales and, and communication and presentations. And, and so we put a think tank together and said, okay, what, what do we need to do? How can we train up these people? And a lot of it, when we say the word training, it's discipleship. I mean, it's, it's teaching them the Romans road, the basics, you know, evangelism 101, teaching them, you know, verses that go with some of the biggest issues that we're, we're running into, uh, biggest felt needs in the room. And so there was that aspect, but, you know, the, and I would come in and cast vision, but I would rely on, you know, as peer-to-peer training. How did you figure all that stuff out? Which, which, which like, part? how did you know that this was the direction to move in? Well, it, 
you know, not to sound trite or cliche, but it started with a lot of prayer. And I think yeah. I think big movements of God do. I mean, every, every, people have said that, but it's so true. And so I can remember sitting in this room. Uh, it wasn't actually this room. I was in another office and just begging the Lord, you know, God, I see that your people are discouraged. What can we do? And in Exodus 18, you know, um, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, says, you can't lead all these people. You have to raise up leaders of leaders, uh, leaders of smaller tribes. And um, and so there was, we. I, I drew went to the whiteboard, carry and I drew a porch because we're the porch. I drew a porch on a house. And uh, we came up with these funny campy names. I said, you know what? There's going to be team curbside. There's going to be they're going to be the first line of defense. You pull up to the curb, and they're going to be the hosts and the greeters and and the ministers and the pastors and the missionaries. And then we have team sidewalk because there's a sidewalk, and they help people get to where they're going, but they also walk alongside them. And then we have team next steps that throw these events and help people plug in and take the next steps. And we have team welcome at, and they're the welcome center. They're the know it alls of the church. And that vision kind of bled out of that picture. And then we had. You know, later on, Team Roundabout was in, invented to um, or established to help people know where to serve, and so it was just you know a lot of thinking, a lot of praying, and a lot of talking to people smarter than me that were actually people I was ministering to. When you have somebody who comes to the porch for the first time, is there a journey they go through? Like, do you do they have to be there a certain number of weeks before they jump in? So somebody somebody comes, they want to engage. What does that journey look like? I mean, back in the day, there were the bases, first base, second base, third base. Yeah. Then, you know, everybody's got a different model, but I'm just curious about what your model would be or what your approach to that would be. Let me, let me talk about Watermark for a minute because the porch is a ministry yeah. of Watermark. Watermark is the church. Watermark has four campuses around uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, the, I, I'm at the first campus, um, mm-hmm. and so what, with Watermark, we do some things different. We we every year in January we take our membership roles to zero, and you have to re up and say, "Hey, I'm still here. I want to be shepherded here. I want to be uh, under the authority of the elders here." And you take a four B assessment form, and you say, "Hey, I'm serving somewhere." Sorry, four B. Yeah, what, what is that? Believe, belong, be trained, be strong, and so those are just kind of four pillars okay. that the church was was built on: believe, belong, be trained, be strong. And so you take this four B as, uh, assessment and um, via online, and then to be a member, you have to be serving somewhere, and you have to be in community, which is what we call small group, and uh, you know, or how we do go about small groups. And so to serve at the porch, you have to be a member of Watermark. And so, that, again, that there, there are high bars. There are, are hoops to jump through. But here's the secret, I think. To, to people that hear that and they're kind of put off by it, I would just say, you have to have easy on-ramps, though. And so every week, we give them an opportunity to get into a small group. We have something called Open Community Group. They can walk into a room and say, hey, I want to hear more about community. We constantly have a ministry fair once a month uh, with all the ministry partners where they could say, hey, I want to serve there. 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 Every week, we have a membership class. Hey, if you want to join the church, you can jump in here. But the porch doesn't just serve Watermark. About half of our attenders, at least here in Dallas, actually go to other churches around the city. And so, and a lot of them are law, I mean, uh, are not believers or lost people. 30% that come in weekly are not Christians. Now, some of them don't know it yet, but they, they wouldn't be able to articulate belief in the gospel. Right. 
Wow, that's interesting. So it's kind of like a church within a church then. You've got your own system, small groups, the whole deal. I mean, I don't want to say it that way, but, no. but just so people get their heads around it. It is, with the exception that we, we, we would just say, hey, this is not church. Like our hope is that you would worship corporately on the weekend, multi-generational, that you'd belong to a church under the authority of the elders. So it's kind of a, a, an in addition to church. Gotcha. Why'd you pick Tuesday night? Uh, that that was there. I inherited that, but it's it's a good night. You know, <laughs> so it wasn't strategic. Yeah, it's just like I, well, oh, we do this on Tuesdays. Well, it was it was probably strategic for someone before me. But if you think about it, you know, Monday you're starting the week. Wednesday is the middle of the week. Thursday is kind of college night. Friday's the weekend, and so Tuesday made as as good a sense as any. Yeah, break down for us as best you can the millennial mind the the mind of the 20s and 30s we've already talked about authenticity we've talked about engagement that spectator church is dead uh, we talked about wanting to give their lives to something bigger than themselves what else is going on in their mind and 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 yeah uh, I'll let, let me, you talk, and then I got a couple of specific questions. Let me deal with some of the stereotypes, right? And so people will say, yeah. you know, what are the the unique struggles of millennials? And uh, I, I've got kind of two responses to that. My first one is that is they don't have any, uh, and that's kind of a <laughs> soft answer. And I'm, I'm going to expound on that. My second one that I think is legit is potentially technology. I mean, that's that's new. Like to carry a mega computer in your pocket with a gateway to all sorts of pornography. Uh, dating apps, you know, life hacks, all of that right there in my pocket. That's a new, that's a new thing that no other generations can't say, oh, I struggled with that too. That's new. Mm. But I will say if we just take those individually like pornography, narcissism, entitlement, those are not new problems. I mean, every generation yeah. before has struggled with lust, has struggled with self-idolatry, has struggled with entitlement. And I'll prove it because you think about, so Gen Y, millennials, Think about Generation A. Let's talk about the apostles for a minute. The number one question they asked Jesus is, is um, who can sit at your right and your left in glory? Which of us is the greatest? It says an argument arose among them as to who was the greatest. It says this nine times in the Gospels that these guys, these these knuckleheads are, are arguing which of them, they're with Christ, the Messiah, and they're arguing which of us is the greatest? Which of us is the greatest? So that's that's pretty narcissistic, fairly entitled. And, uh, you know, they say the number one question Gen Y asks is, um, what's in it for me? Well, that's, that's the same question Generation A was asking. And I think yeah. what happens, Carrie, is we go through what I call the older brother syndrome. And that's where we come in to the faith or to the church as the younger brother. We experience the Father's love lavished upon us. We're, we're so attracted to the grace that is extended to us and, uh, and, and, and receiving forgiveness of sins. And then, um, you know, we grow and we're fed, we're discipled, and we get to a place where we are no longer patient with the younger brother, and we forget that someone was patient with us. And so any generation that's listening right now, I promise you, you are in the faith if you are, uh, you've grown in your faith if you have, because somebody was patient with you. And so as you think yeah. about the generation behind you, the generation that's coming up, you're going to have to be patient with them and and really be a student of them and you know ask some of the great questions that you're asking you're in the college years as well so jen um 
I'm blanking Z, right now. Gen Z. Uh, Generation Y. Thank you, Z. Thank you. Yeah. I'm still recovering from a cold. Yeah, no, well, so no worries. My head reminds me. Generation Z is now roughly what? Like finishing up college? Is that That's right. a fair dividing yeah, yes. line? Yeah, it is. Um, what are some differences you see between millennials and Gen Z? Gen Z is the first generation that that has always had the iPhone as an example. So that's where I think yeah. that technology is really going to play. They, they play into that. They're saying their their brain is actually developing different. Uh, gaming, which has been there for millennials, ha- has seemed to climb to a next level for people. Dating apps, I mean, the vast majority of Generation Z, if they get married, uh, I would guess will have met their spouse via an application on their phone, uh, which is mm-hmm. which is crazy to think about. Is it, you, you're seeing some positive stats around sex, but I don't think the reasons are positive. Uh, and that's uh, potentially premarital sex declining. I've read some studies that have said that, but I really think that's because you're seeing an explosion of internet pornography or, or um, online pornography. And even the inability to perform. I mean, yeah. that's coming up in the literature all the time. That's for right. People with porn addictions that real life isn't as interesting that's or right. as scary, or it's more scary than, than porn is, which is just, yeah, yeah that's so another level. I think those are some of the things that, that it will distinguish that generation from the one before it. But again, they're, they're, they're small. I think the gaps between all generations are not as big as we try to make them out to be. Well, and some of that could be you're a teenager or, you know, yeah. you're in your 20s That's and right. you're going to behave differently. Like the baby boomers were seen as irresponsible in the 60s and the whole deal. And, you know, what, what do you love most about working with young adults? Like, what do you just love about this generation? Because I've got a bias. I love working with millennials and Gen Z. Uh, they're most of my team. I think they're the best. Yeah, it's the future of the church. I mean, I, 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 I um, you know, I went to write one book, and I mean, which will become more now. But when I, if I had to choose, hey, I can write on any topic and anything. And and welcome to adulting was born because I'm so passionate about this generation. The why is because I think they're they're crazy enough. I we made this shirt, you know, um, uh, crazy enough uh, to think that that they can change the world and courageous enough to do it. And, and so that's, that's what I see in this generation is they're coming in, they want to do something for Christ. I mean, they're, you, you look at the stats and so they're green. They want to work for a company that uh, is mindful of the environment. Uh, they're, they're thinking constantly about how to make the world a better place. They're very uh, in tune with social justice. When you take all of those desires and you attach them to the gospel, you get this incredible force in the church. I think they are the strongest engine in the church that's, that's potentially untapped in some churches. And so to take these guys and girls in and to unleash them for the gospel is something that I would just say you'd be foolish not to. Tell us a little bit more about the book then. Welcome to Adulting, when it released, uh, what the reception's been, and some of the big ideas in the book. Yeah, well, it's, it has done so much better than anybody thought it would, which is both encouraging and discouraging all at once. Uh, but, uh, you know, we were on our third print run day two uh, after release. Wow. And, uh, and so and it just continues to do well, was a, a bestseller. And so anyways, I um, it, it just is... it. 
doing ministry, so much of ministry is pattern recognition. And you see people make the same choices and get the same results over and over and over. Some of those very positive, some of those very negative. And so I doing young adult ministry for over a decade, I just started writing down some of those patterns. And I'm like, hey, if you do this, if you date this way, if you manage your finances like this, it's not going to go well. And and however, the inverse is also true. If you do it like this, if you do it like this, it seems like that's gonna go well. And so it's you know the 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 title is Welcome to Adulting. The subtitle is Navigating Faith, uh, Friendship, Finances, and the Future. And it was just meant to be uh, a graduation present. It was meant to be a birthday present. You know, I've said, hey, use it instead of a card, a birthday card, you know, give them this book because the title lends itself to that. And then it's just 11 chapters helping people grow up. Cool. So what are what are some of the keys I, key ideas? So you talk about uh, controlling anxiety. Yeah. That's a huge issue. I'm actually preaching on it this weekend when we're recording this interview. I'm doing more and more research into it. What are you discovering about anxiety? Because I think every parent listening and everybody who's got someone they care about in that generation, I mean, anxiety is just epidemic. Yeah, well, let me say this as a disclaimer. I'm not a doctor. Uh, I'm not a um, you know, psychiatrist um, or, or even a licensed counselor. I am a person who has struggled with anxiety, and I have read the scriptures. I'm trained in the Bible, and I'm I've been really encouraged. I think this is an area where science is catching up with what God's word says, where He talks about meditation. Right now, there's such a buzzword around cognitive behavioral therapy, meditation, mindfulness. You have apps flooding the market like Headspace, and uh, this is all what God asked us to do from the get-go, that we would be still and know that He is God, that He would be led by still waters, that we would uh, reflect and pray and, and have those things mark our lives. And I, I don't know that we're going to survive this fast-paced world without those activities. And so what you see is psychology pushing us back to those activities, and the scripture calls us to take our thoughts captive, which is so much easier said than done. Uh, but the book and in the chapter on anxiety, I just talk about what that practice actually looks like to uh, continue to 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 fight those thoughts and and try to replace them with with uh, God honoring thoughts, like Philippians four eight says, whatever's true, whatever's pure, whatever's right, whatever's lovely, admirable, so on. And so. I, I think that it is an epidemic. I do think it's a growing problem, along with depression, along with suicide. And uh, I, as people are looking for hope, I hope they look in the direction of God. And that's the only place I think they're going to find hope. So I want to jump back into, that's a, that's a really helpful understanding, but let's talk about corporate America, because you're familiar with that. And then let's talk about the church. When you're looking at creating an environment where young adults thrive. What is outdated about corporate America? About corporate America? I think, um, I think, well, this is what's going to be found outdated, I believe, is the exploitation of young adults. And, uh, and just the idea that you just come here, you do your job and go home. And what you're seeing uh, in millennials is they want to follow their passion and we, I talk about why that's bad advice, uh, depending on what you mean by that. And I think you might, I think I've read maybe something you wrote too on that, carry at some point in time. Uh, and so I think just this idea of, hey, how can you create a work environment that is 
uh, social justice aware that is um, contributing to something bigger than just your bottom line. You're starting to see that with a, mm-hmm. a one for one uh, in the marketplace with like with, with you know Tom's was an yeah, early like Mike Hosky yeah, and exactly yeah, Warby Parker that's that right kind of stuff. that's right. And so I think that to to build an industry, you have to be thinking about, hey, how can we make the world a better place? Because they care about that. And so with millennials, and then um, I'm trying to think, what else? What what are some things that you're seeing as it relates to that? I, I would say hierarchical management. This idea that that basically you're in the room, but you listen to me. I think it's more team based. I think the vulnerability of a leader is really important what you said you know that seminary feedback you got like you said pornography and you're not allowed to say that and you have to have this era like and i think it's interesting because a lot of people would call millennials entitled but i've seen millennials really push back against an entitlement culture at work yeah so if you're the entitled boss if you're the entitled supervisor um, you're not going to motivate millennials. And as I've said, because I have written on millennials, you know, nobody wants to work for me. Nobody wants to work for me. People want to work for a mission that's bigger than me. And I think in the corporate field, they don't want to just work for profit. Like if, if the end goal is a better Q1 than last year, I don't think that's very motivating for people anymore. Yeah. And there's got to be a higher purpose. So those are some of the things I've seen. And really it's as much a mindset And um, you've got to ask, like, do you, it's not, do you care about me, the boss? If you're the boss, it's like, hey, boss, do you care about them? And if you care about them, you can really motivate a workforce toward a a bigger purpose. But if you expect everybody to care about you, uh, I think that's got a short shelf life these days. I'd echo every single thing that you said. And I would just add that whole deploy piece. I think they want to be trusted and they want to um, be given, you know, someone to take a risk on them. And I and I've seen them really respond to that. And so the model that I like is that that quadrant. If you think about it, the four quadrants, where it's uh, you do, uh, I do it, you watch, uh, we do it together, you do it, I watch. Now you go do it. I think more and more you're going to see training in that direction of just like, hey, how can we come alongside here? I'll do it first. You watch me. All right, now let's do it together. Okay, now you do it. I'm going to watch you. Now just go do it, man. You 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 got it. And so that's how we train at the porch as well. Hmm. Doesn't that and, and people people would sometimes say, well, doesn't that create unpredictability or chaos or like what if they get it wrong? It can. What, what do you say to that? It can. <laughs> they can get it wrong. No, exactly. I mean it can. It certainly can. You're choosing your problems as with all things. But where I try to set the tone is, hey, you getting it wrong, that's going to be your training. And so please don't ever under any circumstance try to hide the fact that you missed it, that you messed up, that you 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 got it wrong. When you do that, let's put a bright spotlight on it. Let's bring everyone in the room and let's learn all we can because that's the best education that we have. There's a story of a guy that um was a, it was a pool business, a swimming pool business, and he had a contract for a large hotel in the area and he had this minimum wage employee and he left the water on and it flooded the hotel pool, which actually flooded the bar beneath the hotel pool and cost $100,000 in damage, caused $100,000 in damage. And so the the employee walked in the boss's office and handed in his letter of resignation and said, hey, I guess I don't work here anymore. And the boss said, what are you talking about? I just spent $100,000 training you. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> just saying, hey, you because, because you made that mistake and you acknowledged it, you're not going to make that mistake again. And I don't 
I don't want somebody else to make that mistake, so you might as well stay here. And I think that is a a picture of you know how we uh, how we can lead these folks, especially through failure. That's powerful. That's that's such a good picture and such a good story. Um, I want to I want to switch gears and talk about the church, and let's drill down a little bit further about you know what needs to be different in the church so that it really becomes a place where young adults are engaging, that they own, that they're inviting their friends. Uh, let's go back to that question of what are we getting wrong um, and what needs to change in the broader church. Yeah. Don't strike the deal. And so I think so many pastors today are striking that deal where it's like, hey, you show up, uh, you keep the lights on, you, you continue to pay my salary, and I'm not going to ask much of you uh, in return. And right. so we can just kind of handshake agreement. That one, that's not church. And so you can take, yeah. take church off your sign because that's not church. And the next generation is not going to respond to that. I think that you touched on this. I think they do um, desire excellence. And so this is different than what you called spectator church. But I do think we should think through, hey, how can we do everything with excellence? Because excellence honors God and inspires people. And so if my gifting is preaching, I need to constantly be thinking through, how can I become a better preacher? How can I do that better? How, where can I find better stories? You know, How do I hone my craft? If, it's, uh, if I'm a musician or a worship leader, then I, I need to be thinking through, hey, how can I do that better? And so one way we do that with a porch is every message is given a grade, one through 100, 70s passing. And, uh, and then along with that grade, it's given, hey, here's something you could do better. And here's something I thought was excellent. And uh, and what it does is it creates that. Now, who's giving that grade is our staff, a team of of, of critics. And uh, and what that does is it allows them or trains them to think critically, and it makes sure the ministry is constantly getting better and better and better and better and better. And so I think that's the, that church should be thinking. Um, I think sometimes we can think, oh, well, it's a work of God, and so we don't need to do anything. I'm like, no, but God, the, the Holy Spirit has an affinity for people who strive towards excellence a lot of times. And so uh, I think that's important. <laughs> that's so true. Yeah. Um, who grades the sermon? So it's it's our team, uh, it's a teaching team, and so because I'm an extrovert, Carrie, most of the time when I start a message, I'll start in a room full of people and just start talking about gotcha. a passage, and uh, and then as we talk through that, then then folks on the young adult team uh, or or our Sunday team will um, they they've been selected to review the the uh, sermon, and so they'll give send their feedback before 10 a.m. the next day. It will be a number. So grade. do you do this before? You give the message, then you have a graded. So it's a, it's a. I know Liquid Church; they call it Gospel Hour. Yeah. So basically, you're giving it to a small group. Bo- both of them. I'll give it to a small group before. You'll grade it and give feedback, and then I'll, and then I'll also receive feedback afterwards, so I can see if that grade moved. You know, if the sermon improved. Oh and, wow! Yeah. What happens if it fails? You rewrite it. I guess I look, go back to corporate America. No, uh, yeah, if, I mean, I've had rewrites, so I'll give it on, on Tuesdays, I'll give it at 3 p.m., and I usually finish that process at 5.30 p.m., Porch starts at 7, but i got to meet with the band at 6.30, so I have about an hour to make those changes, and a couple of weeks ago, it was just about a rewrite, like new opener, new closure, new points, you know, the only thing that stayed the same wow. was, was the text. And so that's you're scrambling at that point. Most of the time, it's tweak. Hey, you kind of lost me here. Can you better explain this? Hey, let's put a new opener up there. So, 
That's good. Yeah, that that is a paradox because polish does like there is a there is a, a level of excellence you have to hit. Is it just that sloppiness doesn't cut it anymore or having ungifted people like if you're going to be a communicator, communicate. If you're going to play, play. If you're going to sing, sing. Is it like you've got to have people locked into their gifting there? Um, but having a great light show, like, the, okay, here, here's, here's what I'm trying to get at. Help me solve a problem. Because there are people who have like great light shows, you know, technically excellent bands, and the guy or the gal can preach, they can speak, but they got no young adults in the room. And then they're, you know, I'm sure if you went to the porch, you'd see excellence in all those categories and it's packed with young adults. Yeah. What's the difference? Let me, can you put your finger on it? Yeah, let me back up and say, because I, I was going to ask what I thought you were going to ask. I was going to answer what I thought you were going to ask is uh, I, th- I do think you have to be excellent because they are consumers of content and with YouTube now and podcasts and they can listen to their favorite pastor, the best teachers of the word with a touch of a button. And so that's, in uh, in one hand, that's what you're being compared to. And so I do think you want to think through how do I hone my craft and, and how do I do this with excellence. To your question, when you have two churches that are equal in excellence and the show, if you will, but one is not attracting mm-hmm. young adults, it could be a number of things. I don't want to jump to conclusions. It could be location, right? There might not be young adults in the area, but I know that's not why, what you're asking. And I, I would yeah. go back to that authenticity piece. And so if a pastor is not authentic, I mean, there's a reason I lead with that one. When I say lead with the limp, mm-hmm. um, if you are not authentic, if you are inauthentic, you are not going to reach the next generation. I mean, just game over. In fact, if they think you're being inauthentically authentic, you're not going to reach them. If they think you're, you're just kind of saying, you know, pornography for shock value and false confessions, that's not going to work either. I mean, you have to go up there and be real and be yourself. And I've seen that in bands too. I'm glad that's where you landed on that because I think that does help me put my finger on it. I've seen it in bands too. And sometimes you think they're just really good musicians, but they're only playing. Totally. They don't, are you really, do you get the words? Are you singing the words? Do you believe the words? Are you leading people or are you just singing songs? And, you know, one of my theories is that as culture has changed, that kind of authenticity, that kind of engagement, that kind of passion is actually contagious to unchurched people. Yeah. That you can walk in and like, are you seeing that or what are you seeing? Feel free to disagree. Yeah, no, I mean, in musicians, make sure I know what I'm agreeing or disagreeing to. The The first thing you said, I'm, I'm over here nodding my head violently. Uh, I, I think inauthenticity in musicians or worship leaders, when they get up there and they're just trying to, you know they're they're going and they're buying the skinny jeans because that's what somebody else did and they're they're becoming replicas of who they want to be that doesn't work it just doesn't work you have to be you you, you know what's crazy about that is at the porch that you know the the worship leaders are the Shanes and uh, Shane and Shane if if you've heard them i mean they they're the opposite they're the antithesis of all of that and so, meanwhile, man, I you know I can't argue with you. Mean you mean the skinny jean culture? Or yeah, what? yeah. Just like what they don't look like worship leaders. They would joke and they would say, "No, we look like your mechanic." And that's a, <laughs> that's a joke they make. Uh, and and so I mean, listen, God's using elevation and God's using Hillsong and God's using a lot of different places, uh, but He's also using these guys. And I think a big part of the reason He's using these guys is just because they're they're honest and real. Is that what you were asking me if I agreed with? Yeah, it's totally what I was asking you about. 
Yeah. Because it's not just a formula to be copied. Another, another question for you then, celebrity culture. Um, I mean, people in their 20s and 30s have pretty much shaped celebrity culture for what it is now on Instagram. But how do you, how do you look at that? Like, you know, the, the, and I, I think you raised some good comparators more people would know some of the other bands you've mentioned or other preachers we've hinted at than even The Porch. And yet your podcast is consistently one of the top 20 in Christianity on iTunes in the world. How are you straddling celebrity? What does your audience think of that? And I ask the question because I think there's, you know, a few people who think if we can just get the super gifted worship leader who becomes a star and has an album, or if we get the preacher who becomes the hot preacher, then we're all set. What do you, what's your response to that? Scary. Such a, you're so good at what you do, brother. That's such a good question. Let me, let me say something that I, I thought about as you were asking. Um, I think all of those things are tied together, by the way. Anxiety, entitlement, okay. narcissism, and the social media, the, the pursuit of fame. I think that's one big circular cycle of, of despair in that generation. And so meaning, I, I would say a major cause of what we're seeing as the highest levels of anxiety in the history of history is social media and comparison from that and the pursuit of fame yes. via becoming a YouTuber. I mean, I have people in our body, their profession, they are that what they do for a living and make lots and lots of money are their YouTubers, you know? And right. that's, that's a new, in the, and it's, I read a study the other day that if you ask uh, the up and coming generation what they want to be when they grow up, that was a uh, top three answer was, I want to be a YouTuber, which is different. Then, you know, when I want to be a policeman or a fireman or whatever, teacher. Um, how do I personally fight the celebrity pastor? You, I just, I think there's such a danger. Let me say this. It is a fight. And so I got in this. I took a, when I got, went into ministry, I took a huge page cut. I could not deny the calling. It felt like all costs, but I, but it was also felt so real that this is what the Lord wanted. And, uh, and it was maybe the purest form of ministry in that moment because it just was all cost. And now, you know, you get recognized somewhere and people want to buy your meal and, and you know, you would get fan mail, for lack of a better term, and you got a book out there and the book's doing well and people telling you, you know, you, you changed my life. And, and it's like, I know it was God changed your life. He'll use a chump. He'll use anybody. And you just how do you stay grounded and stay, how do you stay humble? One way is I've got guys in my life that I've ran with for 14 years that are completely unimpressed, and they ask me the hard questions on a weekly basis. Uh, two, you kind of hit it on is is I'm far I'm a far cry from a celebrity pastor, because there's there there are huge ones out there, and uh, and I just, you never want to try to be that. And if if I'm left to my flesh. I will want to try to be that, and that will be the beginning of the end. Even if it goes well, even by by going well, I mean, even if the ministry grows, and even if success happens, it's the beginning of the end because uh, I've lost my first love, like the Church of Ephesus in Revelation. And so just you have to maintain every single day, this is about the fame of Christ and not my own. I read a book that I was heavily uh, impacted by called Embracing Obscurity. It's a really simple read. Have you heard of it? No. Okay. No. I tell you who it was who by. It? Yeah. Do you know that's, the a, that's such a fair yeah. question. It's anonymous. 
because they did. <laughs> they they practiced. Of course it is. They practiced what they preached, and they embraced obscurity and didn't is. put their name up there. But it was just a, it was an impactful read for me, and uh, and something that I returned back to. In fact, I picked it up yesterday, just in the midst of doing podcasts and interviews, and it was was flew to New York last week to be on TV, and you know all that stuff. She's like, all right, I, I need to center back around this. And uh, I, I think that's something really key for anybody who's listening in ministry or not. If you're leading in any organization where people are going to be tempted to worship you, man, we just we have to continue to point and project that worship where it was intended. And I think it's good to have a run in obscurity for a long time, you know, to to have done the same thing for a little while and realize that, hey, there'll be a day where nobody listens. There'll be a day where nobody reads. There'll be a day where nobody shows up. And I have to be okay with who I am uh, in that moment as well. Now, that's so good, Jonathan. Well, you got leaders listening here who are like, okay, tons of information, lots of big ideas. And uh, a lot of it, it, it sounds right to me, like it completely resonates, but it probably feels overwhelming to, to some of the people who are listening because they're like, okay, I'm back like five decades from where you talked about. Now, where do I start? So if there are a couple of gear shifts that um, leaders in the corporate or church world could make that would help them connect better with the young adults they care about, they're trying to reach, they're trying to hire, what, what would a couple of gear shifts that they could start working on in the next 30 days uh, include? Yeah, I think, um, I think the hardest person for you to lead, and when I say you, I mean you, the one listening, anybody listening, the hardest person for you to lead is you. And uh, mm-hmm. you have to lead yourself well first. And so before you can say, follow me as I follow Christ, like I would just ask, did you did you spend time with Jesus this morning? Like, can you would you want everyone you're leading to have the same kind of uh, personal time with the Lord that you had? And so start there, like start with you. And uh, that you know, before we run fast, before we go fast, we got to go slow. And so start there. There's incredible resources out there for you. And so yeah, this was a this was definitely drinking from a fire hydrant. But Carrie, you're the best synthesizer of information that I've seen, or or at least one of the best to to say that as honestly as I can. Um, your resources, high impact leader, and other things that you've put out, I would I would encourage people to continue to grow through those uh, through those sorts of things. And then the thing that we, the, the dead horse that we've now kicked 300 times in the past, you know, few minutes is you have to be authentic. And I want to make sure that you're committed to that. And so that's, that's more of a change of a thinking than it is a doing. But starting with, hey, am I committed to letting people fully in my world and in my life uh, so that I can lead them and, and then care for them? You touched on that in talking about corporations. You could ask the question, how can I better care for my people? And that could be anything from making sure their birthdays are in your calendar to, you know, um, scheduling, you know, two-on-one or one-on-one meetings with them. Uh, it could be asking them the question, hey, how can I better care for you? Uh, that's going to make you a better leader of the next generation too. That's good. Okay, so I got to ask you this, because authenticity for people who are not used to that, for maybe people who are back in that seminary, you know, yeah. classroom yeah. going, I'm not talking about porn. I'm not, I'm not talking about anything. I have to have this aura of holiness. Or if you're in corporate, I'm the man, I'm the boss. I got it all together. Shut up. Right. Yeah. 
But I know you've written a book, I've written a book, you preach, I preach. When my last book, Didn't See It Coming, came out, I had numerous friends pull me aside after they had looked at it and went, Carrie, this is raw. Yeah. Like you talk about burnout, you talk about struggling with suicidal thoughts, you talk about growing cynical. Like you're, even when my kids read it, who are now in their 20s, they were kind of like, Dad, this is you're out there with this. Yeah. And they, they, they were just like, it's, it's raw and it's honest. And I know that was a journey for me, but when you get up there, like that hashtag thing yeah. that you talked about, right. Cause I think a lot of guys, you know, might've said to their best friend, Oh man, I clicked the hashtag. I looked at something I didn't, I didn't run away from it as quickly as I could have. I got to get out there and preach, pray for me. Um, what goes on in your mind when you go tell the church that that happened and what gave you the courage to say and to keep saying, this is, this is just me. And to find that level of authenticity that is connecting with people. Here's a better answer to your question you asked earlier on the, the celebrity pastor thing. I just think if, if humility is the goal, then humiliation is the path and uh, continue, <laughs> continuing to put ourselves out there and be honest and um and that is humble it's humbling and it's a humble act you know and uh, you're right it is it must have was it were you humiliated yeah when you told people that yeah. like did you feel that yeah i felt humiliated uh yes i mean when you i think when you yeah. when you get naked in front of people right i mean in, metaphorically speaking that that's yes. that is the that is the sense that you feel but here's the deal Carrie. i believe god's word is true man and I, you know, I, re- I believe First John one, he says, confess sins. James five sixteen, confess your sins to each other, so that you may pray for each other. For the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. I mean, the, there's be children of the light. It says in Ephesians, it, all these things. There, nowhere does it say, "Hey, hide your junk. You can't let that out." I was, you know, I was at a conference once. I was speaking at a conference at a panel, and one of the guys said something in a really pithy way, and I'll butcher it, but he said something like, "You know, there's." There's um, some things you tell to some people and other things you tell to other people and everything that you tell to no one, meaning that there's there's some things that you just don't share. And I, that just sounds like slavery to me, man. I, I'm, I got to a place where I'm like, hey, there's not there, – I've got no skeletons in my closet. There's nothing that I want someone to open that closet and find and, uh, and hold against me. And so I just, man, started writing about that stuff and you know, putting it in sermons and, and in blogs and, and just say, listen, man, if somebody ever comes at me and they're like, man, you won't believe what JP did – I'm I'm just going to go back. Hey, go read blog number 137 because I wrote all about it there, you know? And uh, I, I just, I think there's freedom. I mean, God gives us freedom. It is for freedom that he set us free. And so I don't, I don't well, know this if is, I answered your this question. This has been but. powerful and so helpful. No, you totally did. And it's encouraging. It's inspiring. I'm excited for what God's doing through you, Jonathan, and through your ministry. Tell us again about the book, and then people are going to want to connect with you. Uh, do you have a website? And then uh, tell us a little bit about where they can find out more about The Porch. Yeah, so I wrote a book. It's called Welcome to Adulting. I don't give a rip if you buy this book. I really don't. I didn't buy. I didn't write it so that it would. a lot of people would buy it. I wrote it so that it would be helpful. And so if it's helpful to you, I hope that you share it. If it's not helpful to you, I hope you throw it away. But if it is helpful, I hope you share it with every millennial, every young adult, every person 
uh, anywhere between 18 and 35 or 39, uh, I think, would benefit from the contents. It's 10 years of research uh, packed into a book called Welcome to Adulting. It's available everywhere. Books are sold, Amazon, bookstores. You can go to welcometoadultingbook.com. I get to serve with the Porch Ministry. Uh, our, our website is theporch.live. We're hosting a, a large conference here in Dallas, uh, Memorial Day. And that's awaken.live. Would love for you guys to come to Dallas and hang out with us. And uh, man, it's just, Carrie, keep doing what you're doing, brother. I love the way that you are resourcing leaders. I'm so glad we connected. Thank you so much, JP. And um, yeah, really appreciate you. Yeah, my man. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Well, those are some amazing insights. And JP, Jonathan, thank you so much. Hey, everything you're going to want from this interview is available in the show notes, including transcripts. I know uh, a lot of you have been asking for transcripts. We introduced them maybe four or five months ago. So for all the episodes since the fall of 2018 to this one and moving forward, we have transcripts. They're searchable, printable, the whole deal. I know a lot of you use uh, these episodes for team discussion with your staff, with your board, with your key volunteers. So if that's helpful to you, uh, that's an easy way to pull out the extracts as well. All of it is at the show notes. So go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 236 or uh, just, you know, Google Jonathan Pokluda and my name and you'll find it there or go to leadlikeneverbefore.com, click on blog and you'll find the show notes there as well. Uh, listen, next uh, week we are back with a fresh episode I'm so excited about. Before I tell you about that one, because you're going to love it, um, let's think a little bit one more time about what you're doing for your digital media strategy. Here's the problem. You're spending, let me guess, about 99% of your budget on everything that happens in person, but 99% of the people you're trying to reach are online and you don't have the money to staff in that area. How do you solve that problem? Head on over to promediafire.com forward slash carry and get 10 to 40% off a brand new social media plan for your life. They will make your social media come alive. And if you head on over right now to promediafire.com forward slash carry, you will get this launch special where you can save, depending on the package you choose, between 10 to 40%. And you're already doing this at a fraction of the price that you would pay for a staff person in this area. So make sure you check that one out. And next week, my guest is Ed Stetzer. Ed is one of those leaders who barely needs an introduction if you're in church world. Uh, currently, he holds the Billy Graham Distinguished Chair for Church Mission and Evangelism at Wheaton College. He's written more books than most of us have read. He's a prolific speaker, a well-known author. He has planted, revitalized, pastored churches, and he trains pastors, and he's got his finger on the pulse of culture like nobody else. I do a deep dive with Ed, and we talk about how culture is changing, why Christians are losing the culture war. And what's next for the future church? So if you're setting your course for 2019, wondering what's next, you're not going to want to miss this interview. Here's an excerpt. So even back, you know, this is a leadership podcast. One of the things I, when I mentor some of my leaders here, I say to them, a big part of leadership is being willing to lean in to the pain. And so even, you know, Wheaton College is a very old and, uh, you know, established institution, very state institution. But there are some things that I needed to change so we could be successful. And and I said, um, we've got to change these things. And people said, well, they're not changeable. I said, well, we're going to lean into that pain. Well, you know, just today I talked to one of my one of my key leaders and he said, you know what? You It was a lot of pain, 
but that's changed now. So nothing gets nothing good gets happen with happens without some pain in the process. So that's next week with Ed Stetzer. Uh, subscribers, you get it for free. And remember, speaking of free, I've got some free training videos at thehighimpactleader.com this month that uh, you may want to check out again. I think it's going to help you get an edge in 2019. And don't repeat the mistakes you made in terms of time and energy management in 2018. They're brand new. Love for you to check them out at thehighimpactleader.com. Well, thanks so much for listening, everybody. We are back next Tuesday with a fresh episode. We've also got some extra Thursday episodes coming up later this month and a host of good guests. And I really have enjoyed this New Year's Day conversation. I'm cheering for you throughout 2019. And I do hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.